You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. We begin with that disturbing discovery at a Richmond townhouse where the bodies of a woman and teenage girl were found. Our Ramina Dea is live near the scene, still behind police tape. Ramina, what a shock to the neighborhood. What are residents saying? Chris, IHIT has confirmed the bodies of a 14-year-old girl and 43-year-old woman were found inside the townhouse behind me. Investigators have been doing 3D scans of the properties. They've been inside the unit, taking photos and gathering evidence. Here's what we know. Richmond RCMP first got the call about a dead woman inside the home on family day. Upon arrival, officers found two bodies. IHIT says the are related. We don't know how they died or why. No names have been released. I hit will only say they believe this is an isolated incident with no outstanding suspects. We spoke to multiple concerned residents who are trying to make sense of what happened. This is what one neighbor told us. This place has been rented out as an Airbnb and there's been a lot of people rotating um, and we're just worried, like I'm personally worried that this is like some kind of criminal activity being organized in the area and it's just worrisome. It sounds like it's been quiet here for the last few months. We spoke to another neighbor who told us an Asian family with two young daughters resided here. She used to hear piano through the window, but it's been some time since she's had contact with the family. Back to you. All right. Thanks, Ramina. That's Ramina Dea reporting in Richmond. Well, this weekend's announcement of a possible municipal tax hike of more than 17% on property taxes has reignited the war of words on the future of policing in Surrey and raised more questions about the true cost. As Catherine Urquhart reports, the final decision rests with the provincial government, which is being criticized for how long this process is taking. Will he fix the mess? In the B.C. Legislature Tuesday, a heated exchange about policing in Surrey. This is a total mess. And the people that are going to have to pay for this government's incompetence and delays are the people of Surrey. The council made a decision that they want to go back. In order to do that, they have to put in place a proper plan that ensures safe and effective policing. Honourable Speaker, they submitted an initial proposal. It was lacking. On Saturday, Surrey Mayor Brenda Locke announced a draft budget that includes a 17.5% property tax increase, saying 9.5% of that will cover policing if Surrey Police Service folds and the RCMP remain. It is uh, certainly not a budget that I am happy to deliver, but it is a budget that we have to deliver. Surrey's proposed tax hike comes amid inflation pressures. When governments need to raise revenue, increasing taxes, well, that's the easy way out. And we want better from our politicians at the city of Surrey. Outside the legislature, the Solicitor General noted the city of Surrey only submitted all required information last Thursday. The bottom line is this. This is not some exercise about, oh, um, here's our plan, uh, rubber stamp it and check off a few boxes. Farnworth says he hopes to make a decision within weeks, not months. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Minister of Farnworth does sometimes have his emotions on his sleeve. Keith Baldry <laughs> joins us live with more on this. Keith, if you listen closely to the debate in the legislature today, were there hints at which way this thing could go? 
Yeah, well, again, it's like tea leave reading, Chris. It really is a bit of a puzzle. But today in the House, in answer to questions from uh, the Liberals, Mike Farnworth talked about a scenario that he finds unacceptable, and it applies to Surrey RCMP. He says you cannot take RCMP members and move them around Metro Vancouver, take them away from one division, one municipality, and put them into Surrey. First time he singled out the Surrey RCMP situation as a potential problem when it comes to human resources. Here's the minister in the House today. I'll tell that member this, that if a plan came forward that said we're going to restaff Surrey by taking members from Prince George or taking members from Coquitlam or taking members from the North Shore, that would not pass muster on this side of the House and I expect on that side of the House. We have to do the work that needs to be done and make sure it's done properly. So that's the first time that I can recall that the minister responsible here has flagged a problem unique to one of the forces here, and that's Surrey RCMP. He told me today, again, they're not convinced that uh, right now the human resources issue is really being solved, not only just RCMP, but police in general and other sectors of the economy. So human resource uh, needs and issues seem to rise to the forefront here in determining which way the government's going to go in terms of whether continuing with Surrey RCMP or the new Surrey uh, police services. It's, again, as Catherine mentioned in your story. Farmworth wants to settle one way or another within weeks, not months. I think he's getting tired of talking about this. I think he is too, and that is obvious in some of his clips as well. Keith, thanks very much. Well, the provincial government is expected to announce a new plan and some big investment for mental health and addictions next week. The plan was apparently sent to the Treasury Board for approval last week, but today Premier David Eby wasn't ready to share many details at all. Richard Zussman has more. This is the Redfish Healing Center, a 105-bed treatment facility in Coquitlam, focusing on severe substance and mental health issues, a model the province is looking to expand across BC. This is an absolutely vital issue for British Columbians, and it is for me. Last week, the BC government brought forward a request to fund a more than $1 billion mental health and addiction treatment plan to Treasury Board. The full details have not been released, but what is expected is expanding centers like Redfish and eliminating user fees on all beds right now. Now, some nonprofits charge up to $45 per day. We have a disparity going on. So some people can afford it, some people can't. Some people, if you can't afford it, you can stay for three months. But if you can pay money, you can stay for a year. The government is struggling to get a grip on the toxic drug crisis. More than 1,500 people died in the province in 2018. Ground was made with fewer than 1,000 deaths in 2019. But 2020 saw 1,774 toxic drug deaths. 2,306 in 2021 and 2,272 in 2022. The real dramatic change is we're moving away from the NDP approach of publicly supplied addictive drugs and decriminalization of hard, dangerous drugs. Uh, and we're shifting over to a focus that is much more on treatment and recovery. Kevin Falcon and the B.C. Liberals have released a plan already. It also includes expanding beds and eliminating user fees. We think the focus should be on treatment and recovery. If that's the shift the NDP are making, uh, we'll support that effort because it's much needed. The goal is always to get people into treatment, to get them the opportunity to restart their lives. The fact that we have alignment on that uh, with the B.C. Liberals across the aisle is very good news. It's still unclear what the government will do on the issue of involuntary care. In the B.C. Liberal plan, Kevin Falcon says they will use involuntary care in the most extreme situations where individuals are a danger to themselves and the community. Uh, it's certainly a case in uh, mental health and addiction uh, care, like social workers and addictions counselors. 
so uh, you'll see a, you see uh, a couple of key um, responses from our government. First, around the health human resources strategy. More specifics on the plan, including how to staff it, are expected following next week's budget. Richard Lisman, Global News, Victoria. The cost of replacing broken windows and dealing with other crime and disorder is adding up for B.C. businesses. A group representing 70 business improvement associations across the province is asking the government to create a fund to help them recover from vandalism and property crime before they're forced out of their communities. Imadagahi reports. These are all your awards. Yeah, yeah. Wow. This is uh, first place, BCB Honey, um, from international um, honey competition. Iman Tabari is a physician who has invested years of his life and hundreds of thousands of his own money to master the art of making some of the best honey in the world. Uh, we put BC honey into map. But soon he may be forced to take his talents and success elsewhere because of the challenges he has faced after opening a storefront in downtown Vancouver. We are dealing with unsafe city. I, I'm, I really feel bad because you are thinking here should be safe. Twice he's been broken into. The second time the insurance deductible came up to $2,500. Frustrated. Honestly, we are going to close business because of this we cannot afford to all the time. Break-ins and smashed windows are happening constantly in Vancouver. It appears no part of the city is immune to vandalism and crime. While Terry Smith with the business improvement areas of British Columbia says the issue extends all across the province. It's in communities in Victoria, Kamloops, Prince George, Kelowna, uh, parts of the Fraser Valley. In a recent survey, BIABC asked 500 businesses throughout the province how long they can continue to operate under current conditions when it comes to vandalism and street crime, 17% said only one year, 22% said two years. And we're really looking at um, an opportunity for our provincial government to introduce a separate envelope of funding that would address the rampant vandalism and property crime that we're experiencing across BC in our communities. BIABC has written to the Premier and Finance Minister urging them to create this fund. This as local business continues to struggle through a public safety crisis short of tangible solutions. You're ready to give up yeah, on Vancouver. Really, really, you, you are. Because honestly, I was just thinking about moving from here. Just, it's too much. Emadagahi, Global News. And the numbers show vandalism is on the rise in downtown Vancouver. Stats from the Vancouver Police show there were just over 1,600 reports in 2021 and just over 1,800 in 2022. That's a 13% increase. The numbers reported are for mischief over and under $5,000. No criminal charges are being laid in connection with a report of repeated mischief at a home in North Vancouver. A homeowner reported racist remarks spray-painted on her garage door at the end of January. She believed the suspects were youth from the same neighborhood. Investigators identified three suspects and say they've now taken responsibility for their actions. RCMP say the youths and their families are receiving help through restorative justice initiatives rather than being charged with a crime.
um, you know, have admitted to their guilt. And that's what we like to see. And this is a perfect example of uh, a case where we refer to the sort of justice society. It prevents them from going through the criminal justice system that could potentially have a negative effect on them on their future and down the road. The North Shore Restorative Justice Society is a nonprofit charitable organization <laughs> that addresses the impact of crime and conflict by working through the needs of the victims, offenders, and the wider community. All right, now to a special weather statement. You probably already feel the cold and snow is expected in some areas. Meteorologist Yvonne Schall is in for Christy Gordon tonight with the details. Yvonne, this affects the island first, does it? Yeah, we're watching this cold Arctic air that's entrenched right across the province, and it's moving in this evening with the frontal system as well. This Arctic air will stay in, and stick in the next coming days. But this is what we're anticipating, especially for the day tomorrow. Areas across the island, inland, eastern regions, including Victoria, could see anywhere between 2 and up to 10 centimetres of snowfall falling through the day, continuing towards the evening before it does start to taper off. We've also got a few other spots with the wind chill near the Chocolton at minus 40. A look ahead, though, for Metro Vancouver as we get in towards the weekend. A few areas could see upwards of 10 centimetres. I'll have more coming up very shortly. Chris? All right, we'll check in then. Thanks very much, Yvonne. Singer Julie Black catches people off guard with her rendition of, a of our national anthem and a Vancouver Island First Nation embarks on a difficult journey. Its investigation of the site of a former residential school and what it found underground. That's next on the News Hour. Electrifying education. BC students get a science sampler coming up. Plus, it's time to get the fourth child tattooed on the wrist. Michael Bublé's shout out to a BC tattoo shop and how the artist's designs take him back to the place he grew up. That's later on the News Hour. First Nation on Vancouver Island says a new scan is revealing 17 potential unmarked graves. But interviews with survivors, plus records and other documents, indicate that at least 67 students died at the school over a period of decades. Kylie Stanton reports. The songs and ceremony tell a story of a culture still very much alive, despite all that's been lost. Through this research, uh, we want to share with the world that we can confirm that 67 students passed away as heirs students. The announcement on behalf of the Seychot First Nation more than doubling the 29 students listed on the National Centre for Truth and Reconciliation Memorial Register as those who died while attending the Alberni Indian Residential School. An additional 17 geophysical features representing suspected graves were also discovered as part of the scanning process. We always have at least two people looking at the data independently. You'll see here on the floor there, there's a different amount of teddy bears on the floor. And that's because we don't know who those children are. And uh, that's why they're resembled here today. And the work is just beginning. Of the 100 hectares of land identified as requiring investigation around the site, a little more than 10% has been scanned. Determining where to look has been largely guided by historical records and survivors willing to share their stories. Survivors have been speaking truth for, for decades. And 
there just hasn't been a space, a safe space to, for that truth to be heard. The First Nation has identified at least 70 different nations that had children attend this school, spanning Vancouver Island, BC's coast and into the interior. It plans to engage with all of them as the project progresses into the coming phases, which will include the removal of this building. We know that that building is very difficult for many of you to see. And so we plan on tearing down that building down and we're going to invite all of you back to come and be a part of that ceremony and tearing that building down. But today, it's about healing, with the hope of slowly filling the gaps with the truth, providing answers for the survivors, their families, and all future generations. This is just the first phase and there's still so much more to do. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Port Alberni. And we understand stories like this can be triggering for some viewers. We want you to know there is help available for residential school survivors and their families. The crisis line number is on your screen. It's available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 1-800-721-0066. Well, Toronto singer Julie Black is explaining why she made a slight but controversial change to Canada's national anthem this past weekend. Our home on a native land. Black performed the anthem during the NBA All-Star Weekend in Salt Lake City. She sang Our Home on Native Land rather than Our Home and Native Land. And today on Global News Morning, Black says she wanted to use her platform to make sure all of Canada was represented. I have quite a few friends who are Indigenous, and um, it's, I knew that this was an opportunity to, to uh, be an ally. And actually, I often say allyship is an, is an action. And so I, I recognize that this is, this, this is the truth. I sang the truth. We are on Indigenous land. Even the word Native is questionable. But, you know, we're not going to botch the whole anthem. Um, and I knew that what that one word, I felt in my heart, that the one word would be appropriate enough and respectful enough um, for everyone to to take listen, take note, and faithfully Canada have my back. And so it looks like we're doing all right. Black says she's received an overwhelming response to her decision to change the lyric, and most of it has been positive. Just ahead on the news hour, a career cancelled. I lost all my confidence why the one-time Mountie was forced to give up his dream job. And... It's not acceptable for us to have to put up with this. Why Merritt's mayor is losing patience with the healthcare system, and patients are losing a place they should be able to count on, at least temporarily. Finally cleared a stall eastbound at the west end of the Portman Bridge, and it's starting to recover now along Highway 1 through Coquitlam. Renew your ICBC Auto Plan online with BC's most trusted insurance brand. Just select BCAA as your preferred broker. Learn more at bcaa.com slash car. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. A driver is dead after crashing into the back of a semi-trailer truck on Highway 99 in Richmond. It happened just before 9 a.m. between Blundell Road and Steveston Highway. The semi had slowed down and the smaller flat deck truck slammed into the back of it. The southbound right lane reopened only a short time ago, but there are still major delays. B.C. Highway Patrol is now investigating, but criminality is not believed to be a contributing factor. 
A former RCMP officer says his case is an example of Canada's two-tiered justice system. Constable Paul Middlestadt was involved in an incident with an in-custody prisoner back in July 2020. He ended up being charged with assault. But as Aaron MacArthur reports, while Middlestadt has now been acquitted, he says the judge's ruling shows Crown should never have approved the charge against him. Paul Middlestad took the long way around to becoming a Mountie, joining at the age of 47. He was forced into retirement just a few years later after being accused of assaulting a prisoner. I lost all my confidence and my ability to, to know exactly where my legal standing was. In July 2020, Middlestead escorted a prisoner to Saanich Peninsula Hospital to receive treatment. According to the retired officer, the prisoner's behavior became increasingly erratic and violent during the ER stop, and he ended up spitting in Middlestead's face. At that point, I took him in a controlled fashion to the ground from his chair with his handcuffs and his um, cuffed in the front. Instead of charges coming against the prisoner, Jesse Carlson, Middlestad was stunned to learn he was the subject of an assault investigation. The complainant, who died recently, was uninjured in the takedown, save a small abrasion. The Crown's case based on a phone interview with the man. The judge declined to admit that evidence and in a short reason for judgment said, we have heard the Crown's case and there is insufficient evidence to find you guilty of the charge. Pompeo in April of 2016. Lawyer Ravi Hira says he has more than half a dozen cases just like this. Unrow in 20 of officers charged with assault for doing their jobs, using force as set out by national standards. He says the Crown Prosecution Service too often takes marginal cases against officers to court, and the process needs to be reviewed. Police officers are integral to the rule of law, and they shouldn't be treated in a manner inconsistent with the way the Crown treats the public. Attorney General Nikki Sharma says the independence of the charge approval process is crucial. Well, I do know it's very important that politics stays out of the individual decisions of the prosecution service. Middlestad says his sense of what the RCMP stands for shifted during this experience, his dream shattered by what he calls a baseless accusation. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Coming up, innovation takes flight at YVR. It's about investing in people. The new partnership that has BCIT students helping improve your airport experience. And what the January inflation situation tells us about the future of interest rate hikes. Coming up. Still busy both ways this evening on Highway 1 through Vancouver. After clearing some earlier issues, eastbound traffic is backed over the Iron Workers Memorial Bridge. Through Carmack Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Carmack, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Carmack Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Consumers got a little bit of a break in January as Canada's inflation rate slowed to 5.9%. That's lower than economists were expecting. As Global's Anne Gaviola explains, many see it as a small step in the right direction. For the first time in nearly a year, Canada's inflation rate is below 6%. Economists say that's reason for optimism. What we're going for is a meaningful slowdown in the rate of increase 
Sticker shock isn't as bad as it was in 2022, but the cost of some goods and services are still rising. Prices at the pumps in January, up 5%. Food prices remain stubbornly high too, up nearly 11.5%. Researcher Sylvain Charlebois says the war in Ukraine inflating global prices for food staples continues to be a factor. Access to grains has been problematic, and that has pushed prices higher, and we're feeling at the grocery store. Supply chains are still an issue. They're not at 100%. So are drought conditions from regions south of the border that grow fresh produce that we import. According to Statistics Canada, the cost of fresh or frozen chicken rose 9% annually, mostly because of avian flu outbreaks, lingering supply chain issues, and strong seasonal demand. Believe it or not, some things cost less. Sell prices down nearly 8%. Statistics Canada says that's thanks to Boxing Day sales that stretched into the new year. Awaiting a final decision on the $26 billion Rogers-Shaw deal, consumer advocacy group Open Media worries about the impact of consolidation. We still uh, have some concern about whether that's going to lead to higher prices for wireless customers. And uh, there's also concern about home internet folk uh, who are, are going to be part of Rogers. Alberta's Shaw family controls both Shaw Communications and Chorus Entertainment, the parent company of Global News. Mortgage interest costs continue to fuel inflation too, up more than 24%, a byproduct of the Bank of Canada's attempt to bring inflation closer to its 2% target. It is a scenario most experts don't see happening until later this year or next, possibly along with a recession. Most Bay Street economists expect a conditional pause at the Bank of Canada's next interest rate announcement on March 8th. A break on borrowing costs would bring much-needed financial relief to many households across the country, just as the pace of inflation is expected to moderate, too. Anne Gaviola, Global News, Toronto. A new memorandum of understanding between YVR and BCIT will fuel more innovation for the future of flight. The agreement was signed this morning and it will support the development, advancement and application of innovation initiatives. One of the latest collaborations is the Center for Internet of Things, a living lab for students to respond to industry challenges at the airport. We are challenged with climate change and climate resilience as weather events uh, that we've seen have affected our region both on land, in the water and in the air. This gives an opportunity for students to focus on some of the most pressing challenges and problems, bringing the best local talent together through BCIT. Through the partnership, YVR also hopes to solve the current worker shortage in the airline industry that's caused by the pandemic. And if you hate long lineups at the gate and searching for your ID before you board, a new facial recognition pilot program at YVR is about to make the process easier. Air Canada's new digital identification pilot is being launched at YVR to be used on select flights only to Winnipeg right now. Eligible customers can use the new option by signing up through Air Canada's app, making it so you only need facial recognition to get through your gate. Customers will still be able to opt out and board as normal if they prefer. It's the first airline in Canada approved to offer a facial recognition option to confirm identification. The emergency room in Merritt is closed until tomorrow for the third time this month. The 24-hour closure has residents and the mayor of Merritt demanding answers from the government and interior health. As Travis Prasad reports, they want a solution before it happens again. 
The 24-hour closure started at 8 a.m. Tuesday. Interior Health says an unexpected physician vacancy led to the third abrupt ER shutdown at Nicola Valley Hospital this month. This uh, is becoming way too common, way too uh, accepted. It comes after a 13-and-a-half-hour overnight closure on Saturday that the health authority blamed on a shortage of nurses. The ER serves more than 7,000 residents of Merritt and the surrounding communities. The mayor is now calling for a full investigation, saying Interior Health and the health minister owe the people answers. I could not imagine Vancouver or Victoria or Richmond or Chilliwack waking up one morning and they're being told they don't have a hospital or an emergency room for the next 24 hours. It's not acceptable, even though we're a small city, it's not acceptable for us to have to put up with this. People needing emergency care are being diverted to the ER at Royal Inland Hospital in Kamloops, roughly a 45-minute drive if the road conditions are good. Which doesn't sound like a a long time, but if you're in an emergency situation, obviously 45 minutes is a long time. Unexpected ER closures, a problem in other parts of the province in recent months, including Clearwater, the North Island and Haida Gwaii. Advocates for rural health care say even before the pandemic, there was not enough staff allocated to smaller facilities. We need to enhance that and we need to be less concerned about Uh, you know, the the labour agreements and the amount of money and get more concerned about how many people we have in the system, how we can utilise people in an emergency situation to keep facilities open. Putting a major effort in in Merritt and all the the neighbouring communities is very important uh, to build out capacity is why the new agreement with doctors is important, the effort to hire foreign trained doctors. The ER is expected to reopen on Wednesday morning. But the mayor fears more disruptions are on the way. We could be looking at anywhere between 14 and 20, 25 closures in, in, in a year if, if we continue going this route. Travis Prasad, Global News. Just ahead, kids exploring a career in science. You can actually understand a lot of, uh, of, the, of the world around you. From big booms to microscopic animals, the mind-blowing lab creating a buzz in education. Plus... Some of the patterns go back, you know, four or five thousand years to the Lapita people. The transplanted tattoo artist making creations his customers, including Michael Buble, are proud to wear. All right, Yvonne joins us now with another look at weather. Uh, we went from beautiful sunshine this <laughs> afternoon to a pounding hailstorm up here in Brunswick. Yeah, depending on where you were, locally we did see some hail. Uh, take a listen to some of the viz or visuals that were sent in from earlier this afternoon. This was on Victoria Drive. It almost looked like snow for some drivers that are out there, but it was isolated hail. And we actually still have the potential as we get in towards this evening. So uh, keep that in mind if you're out on the roadways. We can see that with a few heavier pockets right now, just along the eastern edge, extending in towards the Fraser Valley. Big weather story across the island, inland, eastern regions, and Victoria, though. We're looking at some snow that'll start to develop as early as the morning hours and then continue through the day. Cold Arctic air right across the province. This will continue to settle in the coming days. Areas of concern, especially for the central interior with the wind chill minus 30 and a few spots closer to minus 40. The snow will be locally across the island, but there is that potential up to 10 centimeters. Most areas between 2 and up to 5 centimeters. We've got a nice break between systems for Thursday, Friday, but this is a look ahead. I really wanted to advertise that we have the potential Saturday night late in towards our Sunday. We're looking at snow across the lower mainland. Metro Vancouver could see anywhere between 5 and a few spots locally with up to 15 centimeters. 
meters. So we'll be watching this closely. Stay tuned. But a look ahead towards the weekend, especially for Sunday morning, if you're making plans, is when we're looking at accumulating snowfall. Chilly right across the board, paired with sunshine for much of the northern and central regions of the province. Southern interior, if you're along the mountain passes, the snow should start to ease off this evening. We'll be tracking a chance for some flurries for tomorrow. Snow inland, eastern regions, Victoria, those are the areas of concern for the island through the day tomorrow. Lower mainland, we're also looking at the potential for some flurries, but not much in terms of accumulation. Chilly in the coming days, and then looking ahead towards our Saturday and into Sunday morning, accumulating snow. All right, this is a shot from our weather window tonight Stanley Park and it was captured by Rob with the waves out there Chris mm, yeah big splash thanks very much Yvonne it can be tough to impress teenagers there's no doubt about that but some grade 8 students were blown away witnessing a series of experiments at the University of the Fraser Valley today it's called science sampler inspiring the students to seek a career in the stem subjects science technology engineering and math Grace Key shows us more Welcome. Um, this is the physics lab. Grade 8 students from Abbotsford Traditional Middle School are getting some fun hands-on demonstrations at the University of the Fraser Valley. So the coils will have a current in them running back and forth, which means a magnetic field will go shooting up and down here. They're in university labs, learning from university instructors, and witnessing some pretty electrifying demonstrations. It was 10 out of 10. This is pretty awesome. It's very cool, like... I got to like, it, like I learned so many like new stuff today. So one of the things we're trying to do here as well, we put a liquid in, we're trying to turn that liquid into a gas, because the gas will burn a lot faster, which makes the pressure go up a lot quicker. In chemistry, students got to test their understanding of the ideal gas law when improving an air cannon. Let me aim. Higher? There? Okay, you're going to catch it then. And in biology, is it alive? Oh, this one's moving. Yep, there we go. Do you see those little hairs moving really fast? It's making a vortex and sucking food into its mouth. They're tiny, tiny animals. Very cool. Students took a closer look at bioluminescent bacteria, insects, fungi, and plants. What is it? It's called a sensitive plant. They don't like being touched. As soon as you touch them, they kind of retreat. Any thought on why they would do that? Why they close up? It is totally defense. It's the first time the middle school has partnered with the university for this science sampler. The idea is to introduce students to STEM subjects through fun, hands-on demonstrations. It's amazing. I mean, that's because it's, it's about really engaging these kids. And if, if they can find something that excites them and uh, discover something new and just, yeah, just, just have fun with the day, that's, that's really what we're hoping for. It was a day that ignited their curiosity and maybe even opened a new world for a future scientist. Grace Key, Global News. What an opportunity for those kids. All right, uh, and a great opportunity for us to learn about what's coming up in sports. Here's Well, we'll uh, talk about the Canucks who are in Nashville. And the Whitecaps start the regular season at home this Saturday against Real Salt Lake. And Vanny Sartini is more optimistic than usual. This is by far the strongest team that we ever had, in the, in, in, at least in the five years that I've been here. And there is new striker Sergio Cordova, who adds to the optimism. Get in as a sub against his old team, which is Salt Lake. Exciting. All right, thanks, Squire. Also coming up, tattoo stories. A proud Polynesian artist keeping his cultural connections alive through ink.
Talked about soccer going into the break. Uh, now hockey. We'll start with hockey. Then we'll get to soccer. Um, it looks like Luke Shen has played his final game for the Vancouver Canucks. He was actually sent home from Nashville today to await a trade. Vancouver feels it's close to a deal for Shen, and they don't want Luke Shen to get hurt in the meantime. Plus, his wife is very close to having a child. So Luke Shen wanted to wait for any trade at home with his family, which, of course, makes perfect sense. No word on which team is closest to getting Shen from the Canucks. But a lot of playoff teams would like a guy who's a stay-at-home, big defenseman who has, of course, won a couple of Stanley Cups in his career. Okay, so Rick talking and the Canucks are in Nashville tonight. Predators are not in a playoff spot right now, but they're not bad enough to be in the Connor Bedard Derby at the moment, so they still think they have a postseason chance. And they get the first goal. Cole Smith in a scramble. Colin Delia in the nets for Vancouver tonight. Actually, Thatcher Demko is on this road trip. He practiced today. They hope he'll be able to play very soon. Almost a lucky bounce for JT Miller or an unlucky bounce for Nashville, as the case may be. UC Soros with the save there. Then uh, Smith misses a chance for a second goal. Shorthanded. Delia doesn't really have to make a save there, but he had to be in the right position. But he had to make a save there off Tanner Jeannot with the glove hand. Now Phil DiGiuseppe has a shorthanded chance. And he just misses. So it remains 1-0. Not too long after that chance was failed upon, Phil Tomasino would score a power play goal. And now it's 2-0 for the team in the Colonel Mustard uniforms. But Andre Kuzmenko on a nice pass here from Ethan Bear. Sees Kuzmenko's wide open. It's a breakaway and it's goal number 25 for Andre Kuzmenko. And then there was a weird final minute where they each got a goal. So they go to the break with 20 minutes left with Nashville leading 3-2. Now, I know we have seen this before, where the Vancouver Whitecaps have been full of optimism in February, only to have it disappear and destroyed by April because of a bad start. But this year, we can pretty much safely say that on paper, this may be the best Whitecaps roster in their Major League Soccer history. The offseason additions of Laborda, Takayoka, and Cordova filled areas that needed extra help. And with the Whitecaps starting the season Saturday against Real Salt Lake at BC Play Stadium, and with Champions League games starting next month, a bad start this year is not going to be tolerated. I think now the pressure is on me, but it's, it's, a, it's a good pressure to have. Yes, Vanny Sartini is likely the one who would pay for a bad start, but with newcomers like Sergio Cordova and key holdovers from last season, he should be able to avoid disaster. And it isn't just the roster that should provide Vancouver a brighter start. It's also how the Whitecaps prepared for this season as well. Another big uh, focus of the entire offseason to have a very demanding, uh, hard uh, preseason. We had uh, eight games uh, compared to the four games that we had last year. Eight games, five of them against MLS opponents, two international games. So. That's what we try to do, to, to bring the intensity as high as we can in order to be ready for Saturday. The amount of games we had, everyone's coming into, uh, heading into Saturday with the, you know, the, in the same shape and the same fitness level. So 
um, it's good that everyone's going to be ready whenever whenever we're called upon. This preseason, we've shown defensively we can keep the ball and that. I think we've shown a, a great progression in defensive shape uh, from the front to the back. And then uh, towards the end, we, we started to get better momentum in front of goal, creating chances. So it'll come down to us being clinical in the final third to put the ball in the back of the net. The Whitecaps are hoping to play a system where they get an extra guy on the attack, which allows someone like Cordova to stay more in the scoring areas in front of the net and not run around as much and help with the build-up. We analyzed last year and uh, uh, we, we saw that we need to, inc to, to increase the number of chances that we have every game, at least by, I would say, 20%. So that's, that's the idea. More. Very specific. They need 20% more in the way of chances. At the uh, Scotties, BC's rink skipped by Clancy Grandy beat none of it 12 to 4 this morning. BC is 3 and 2. Second in Pool A. BC won't play again until tomorrow. Team Canada is in Pool A. They're at 6 and 0. Manitoba is tops in Pool B at 5 and 1. There you go. All right, thanks very much, Squire. And still ahead, ink that makes you think maybe I should get a tattoo too. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you by JM Media. Visit jmmedia.ca. No doubt a busy night tonight. Jordan Armstrong is standing by with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11. Jordan? Chris Beesey's opposition parties are slamming the EB government, accusing it of wasting time and mismanaging the legislative session. In a rare move, the Liberals and the B.C. Greens held a joint news conference today to say the NDP has failed to put forward any substantive bills so far for debate. Last week, the House adjourned early when it ran out of things to do. And today, some members of the NDP caucus filibustered their own minor bill to run out the clock. We'll look into what's happening and hear the Premier's response to all of this tonight on Global News at 11. Chris? Look forward to hearing that. Thanks very much, Jordan. A local tattoo artist is enjoying what might end up being more than 15 minutes of fame thanks to a shout-out from superstar Michael Bublé. The Fijian transplant first experimented with the art form as a child, and now that he's in great demand, he uses it to stay connected to his Polynesian culture. Jay Durant shows us more on This Is BC. Hey everybody, I thought I'd take you on a little tattoo journey. It's time to get the fourth child tattooed on the wrist here at Tabua and Company. Another Michael Bublé booking for Andrew Mitzkow. Okay. He begged me for it. He was just like, yo, come on, bro. I need to get this Grammy. This is the only way I'm going to get her. I was like, all right, you're a Burnaby kid, right? No, okay, we'll do it. What are we going to do today, bro? Touch-ups? Mitzkow's tattoo journey started at age nine in Fiji when he and his friends got caught giving each other ink one day at school. And with the um, lemon thorn and big pen ink, the nuns caught us, gave us a beating. Bar of soap and scrubbing brush, get to it, boys. His work features historical Polynesian and Melanesian designs. It's a cultural connection to our distant past. Some of the patterns go back, you know, four or 5,000 years to the Lapita people, who were the original inhabitants of our region of the Pacific. But it took some time for this artist to make a comeback. He worked a number of odd jobs after moving to BC nearly 30 years ago, even driving a Zamboni for a bit, which was hard for his friends in Fiji to understand. You had to explain it to him. That's ice, big sheet of ice, and you drive something on top of it with a knife, big knife on the bottom, right, you know? It's like cutting the grass. 
<laughs> a couple of times a year, Andrew donates his talents to charity. We have our, our team here, uh, including our nurses, anesthesiologists. Raising money for Team Broken Earth that supports health care in Haiti. So the next one I'm doing is for Burnaby General Hospital. Uh, we'll be doing $100 tattoos, and uh, we just see how many people we can realistically get through the door in one day. So this is my grandmother here. This artwork is giving Midscow a connection to his ancestral history. It's really cool stuff. Everyone's on a journey through life, and this is my way of staying connected to my Polynesian and Melanesian ancestors. While coming up with designs for clients to share their own family story. We did it! We finished! I love you, buddy. Jay Durant, Global News. That's great. He's going to have names all the way up the arm if he keeps going here. All right, if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC you want to share with the rest of us, just email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. A friend just sent a beautiful picture of a rainbow. We even got a rainbow this afternoon, Yvonne. A little bit of everything. Yeah, mixed bag, and we're tracking flurries this evening, taking us in towards tomorrow. Windy at times as well, up to 60 kilometers per hour. The nice break will be Thursday, Friday, but notice those overnight lows, even getting down to minus seven. And then looking ahead, planning for the weekend, it's late Saturday into Sunday morning so far. Could be white out there. We'll be tracking some snow, so stay tuned. Uh, but for tomorrow morning so far, we're seeing flurries. Premature to change the snow tires as well. Yeah, it's too sounds. early. All right, thanks very much, Yvonne. Thanks, Squire, and thank you for watching, everybody. Have a great night. We'll see you back here tomorrow.